there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. Our topic today is eating your way through Lent. And hopefully you're not saying, why should this year be any different from last? And this is not to be confused with the tabloid promise how to lose 10 pounds and eat whatever you like either. No, rather, we're talking about a Lenten resolution for your elderly parents. It's with good reason the church ends its fasting rules when you get older. And many would argue the real trick is to get older folks to eat more. Moreover, our guests today are terribly unsuited for talking about fasting and abstinence, and that's why they're here. They love food and have built their careers around it. And today we're going to discuss helping our older folks make a Lenten resolution to eat more and better. Bob and Pat Spear are longtime friends. Pat has her degree in dietetics from Seton Hill University in Pennsylvania and has been with Sodexo for 17 years, a company which contracts with senior care facilities like Holy Cross Village at Notre Dame, where she works presently. Bob Spear has managed food service departments and hospitals for 40 years in Illinois, North Carolina, Texas, Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana. He has a great love of sports, especially his hometown Chicago teams and alma mater Notre Dame, which is always fodder for our conversation whenever we get together. Pat and Bob reside in South Bend, Indiana. I have two children and two grandchildren. Welcome to our show. Well, thank, thank you. you. Pat, what made you decide to study dietetics when you were younger? I think I always liked to entertain at my parents' house, like make sure I was there helping my mother put together food for her friends that were coming and, and just trying to be like the homemaker and, and that. And I just gradually fell into dietetics. Oh, loved food. Mm -hmm. Bob, you are in an interesting profession where you seem to be part restaurant manager, but in a hospital setting. You know, how do these two worlds come together? Does one trump the other or am I very far off with that estimation? No, not necessarily. I mean, people are in the hospital, they have to eat. So, mm -hmm. But you get reviewed on your food, I understand. We get reviewed just as all the other departments do in the medical center by the patients because there's a survey that the medical center uses that goes out to the patients mm -hmm. and they get them after discharge and send them back and they can offer very kind words about the food service or sometimes maybe not so kind. But, well, it's um, something everybody's an expert in, what they like and don't like. Absolutely. And then you throw in the other factor that 60 to 65% of them are on some kind of restricted diet. Uh, so you're, you're really working behind the eight ball. Yes. So, Pat, I think that kind of dovetails real nicely with the fact that an old cook's secret is if you want to make something taste better, throw some bacon in it. Oh, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> but, but I know that you can't really do that in the settings that you guys work in. Do you have like a, a, a go-to, like, I got to make this taste better? Do you have a little trick up your sleeve that you like to use that doesn't contradict mm -hmm. doctor's orders? No, I think it's just making sure that the food is palatable and looks nice, tastes good, just using the spices and herbs that we do have and just making the cooks be aware of what they're serving and, mm -hmm. you know, make sure it's not overdone or over overcooked, just making sure that the food looks good. 
you know, you eat with your eyes. Yeah. And a lot of our residents, you know, they do that first mm -hmm. and then they'll be critical of the other things. But if it tastes good, if the meats are moist and they're able to chew it, it just makes a difference. Well, you're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey and my guests today are Bob and Pat Spear. And we're discussing the perennial Lenten topic, food but with a twist. Instead of talking about cutting back for ourselves, we're proposing to help our seniors eat more and better this Lent. So Pat, what are some of the reasons for getting our seniors to eat more? In other words, you know, are there problems associated with not eating enough? Oh, sure. Especially in the setting I'm in, eating is a major part of their therapy and the recuperation. They need to make sure that they're eating enough to maintain their exercise level, the energy that they're going to expend when they're in therapy. Mm. If they have any wounds or anything, that's a stress level. So it means additional calories trying to make sure that they're eating good just to maintain their strength mm -hmm. and not to lose too much weight. If they start losing weight, then they lose energy. Skin issues then can develop. So it just kind of snowballs into, it could just snowball. Yeah, you mentioned something really important. It's the skin issues. What mm -hmm. are those? The skin issues, I know when I first started in, in dietetics, they were called decubitus ulcers or now they're pressure areas or any kind of a wound from sitting on, on your bottom a long time and not having a cushion. You develop a sore. So part of that recuperation for that sore is working together with the wound nurse, making sure they have enough calories. Are they getting vitamins and minerals? Do they have a treatment? Is there a cushion that they're sitting on or an air loss mattress in their bed? Trying to look at everything around that patient to see what are we doing to help prevent those wound issues yeah, once and then they get, help those. Once they get started, it's... It, it can be. There's there's certain medications. I know in our in our facility that I work in, we don't have a lot of supplements like Boost, Ensure, those things that are advertised on TV. Mm -hmm. We are a food first community. So we try to make sure that the residents are actually eating food instead of those supplements. We find with those supplements, most of them go in the garbage. Yes, there are some people that really like them. And so we do get that we do get that for them. But we try to make sure that there's food first and they're eating enough. I like um, that. And, and additional protein. There's little protein supplements you can get that just has protein in it. So we try to make sure there's get they get enough protein, vitamin C and so forth. I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have teenage kids would say, we're a food first facility too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everybody's eating so much. <laughs> There's, there's, there's another thing that strikes me as being important, something that you want to nip in the bud quickly before it gets out of hand, like the skin issues, right? The bed mm -hmm. sores and stuff like that. And, and that is when seniors fall, oftentimes mm -hmm. that's the beginning of a long slog and maybe the end that mm -hmm. they never really pull out of. And, and that is oftentimes due to just being dizzy because they're not eating enough or drinking enough. It, it could be, you know, mm -hmm. it, it could be. So yeah, when your loved one's at home or in a facility, you definitely want to make sure that they're getting enough food, whether you're bringing it in for them at home, maybe putting items in the freezer or stocking the refrigerator. Then where I am is making sure I'm sitting down with the residents. What do you like to eat? What can we provide for you? What do you like to drink? Staying hydrated is mm -hmm. a huge issue. Mm -hmm. You know, you even think in the cooler weather, we don't need to stay hydrated. But inside with the heat going and you're wrapped up in a blanket, you're still sweating or perspiring. So you need to make sure that that hydration is there too. Mm -hmm. But it's really talking to the resident, what they like to eat, maybe getting them a little something that they do like, even if they like a chocolate chip cookie in the afternoon, if that's something that's going to satisfy them and kind of win them over, just make them start eating or mm -hmm. help them start eating again, I would definitely try to do that. Now, Bob, you know, we've often had lively conversations about coaching, you know, who's doing a good job, who's not. And usually we're, we're upset with our own coaches. 
And a, a big part of coaching is motivation. And in getting folks to eat, we just can't, you know, stand over them and give them a let's eat this one for the Gipper speech every time they sit down to a meal or offer a issue a, a Bear Bryant-like threat to run them until they puke if they don't eat because that would be counterproductive. You once told me three, I think three, basic characteristics that each meal should have to really make someone want to dig in at come mealtime. Do you recall what those were? Got to look good. Got to taste good. Got to be prepared well. You have to have good temperatures. So not too hot, hot, not too cold. Hot food, hot, cold yeah. food, cold. Yeah. So you don't get in a danger zone where, you know, we, but we're both working with people that are older and debilitated per se. And if they're in a hospital, so you want to make sure that that food is at the right temperature uh -huh. so they don't get sick from it. So I know that you, you manage a lot of people too, and they're all in the game with you, right? And you guys right. got a, a schedule that you got to keep and you all got to be pulling together, procuring, preparing, and serving food in large settings. A lot of people, a lot of you know comings and goings. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes where you guys work? I well, mean, I know it's not like Harry Potter where you got elves with wands and the food just comes up from the basement <laughs> and shows up on the table. Well, as far as the, the food and, and the meal itself. So if you look at the goal line, if you look at the end zone of being in the meal in front of the person that you're trying to take uh, care okay. of. So then in order to get to the goal line, there's some practicing that has to go on first. And the practicing in our case would be laying out a menu and then figuring out what products are needed for the menu, whether it be beverages or solid food, and then all categories. And then, of course, from that, then you have to determine your ordering process. So you have to have people involved with ordering and you have to have the clinical nutrition folks involved to make sure that whatever you're serving is balanced as far as the restricted diets that there are any. And then when food comes in, then you get into the, the storage and the securing of the food and eating uh, refrigeration or freezing if necessary or dry goods in the proper temperature and restrictions and standards there. And then you get into the actual prepping of food because it doesn't just jump out of the box onto the plate and in front of the customer, in front of the patient. So there's the preparation. Use an example of meatloaf. If you have to mix something with different ingredients and then a lot of times you'll let that set in the refrigeration and then bake it off and then get it to the plate. So there's, there's the, the prep and then the preparation. And of course, then the the end, to the ones that always carry the ball across the goal line, once you get everything all lined up and you got your playbook, but the folks that are always scoring every touchdown or kicking every field goal for us is, is the ones that are providing the service. So it's the food service. Mm. So it's food all the way up until it's, it's time to deliver the meal. And that can be in a very important piece because if you show up at the doorstep of a patient and you're not providing customer service with a smile and caring for them with a little empathy of how their day's going, that meal means a lot to them. And that's, yeah. as we said before, that's one of the things that folks can actually identify with, mm. with all the other medical procedures going on in the mm. hospital. So. so, Pat, I would think there's a lot of pressure on someone like yourself who's in charge of answering the question each day, what's for dinner? You know, that's a hard enough answer to give at home, but for a whole community of paying customers who have a little more to look forward to than the next meal, how do you deal with that pressure? Well, I do have a, like Bob says, I do have a, a kitchen where there's other managers and, and cooks and aides and, and everybody, like he was saying, comes together, does their part and, and tries to provide the meal, you know, in a timely and in, in timely manner, in a hot, hot manner or cold manner, depending on the food. And just being happy, like he had mentioned service, making sure our diet aides have the tools they need so that they can succeed and make it nice for the for the resident. And then making sure that the resident knows what's available, you know, and there's communication between them so that they get what they want and we have what they need. 
You know, one of my favorite movies is Babette's Feast. It was a foreign language movie that won an Oscar many years ago. And one of that movie's takeaways is the transformative effect a meal can have on someone's entire day and even their relationships with one another. Pat, you once told me a story about how a bologna sandwich right. lunch had just such an effect. Would you share that story? This was quite a few years ago at a facility. There was a table of ladies at meals, and I know I'm in the dining room anytime there's a meal going on because you can gather a lot of information, whether the residents can chew and feed themselves and so forth. But back to the bologna, the ladies at the table were talking about how they they just wish they had a bologna sandwich. They remember bologna from back when they were little and it had to be on white bread with mayonnaise. And someone else said, no, there has to be mustard. And so I heard the conversation and I went up to the table and they were like, we just want a bologna sandwich. And I said, well, okay, I'll get the bologna and I'll get the bread. And so I did the next day, I brought it in and brought the bologna and sat down at the table. And we all had bologna sandwiches on the white or the white bread with the mayonnaise or the mustard. And the reminiscing that went on was more was more than just the bologna and the white bread. Mm -hmm. It was they were talking about when they were kids and what their mom and dad used to do and their sisters or siblings. It was, you know, it was really a community coming together over a bologna sandwich. Yes, it's not nutritionally sound. I, I get that. <laughs> but sometimes we sometimes that food, you know, just that that reminiscing and going back to comfort food it really makes a difference. Yeah. And sometimes you can kind of say, look what we did for you with a bologna sandwich. And it kind of brings them around that, okay, well, I'll try your meatloaf you had on today, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of win them over a little bit with that. Yeah, a little bargaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, very human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in the nursing home setting, what are some of the impediments to eating properly and how do you overcome them? I guess you we've touched on a couple of them already. The bargaining, you know, <laughs> and um, making sure it looks good, mm -hmm. right temperature and all the rest. Are there other impediments that come to mind? Sure. There's if they if the resident can feed themselves. Do we work with occupational therapy to see if there's a built up utensil, a different kind of a plate, a different cup? a cup with a lid. A major thing is their oral care. I always ask the residents, do you have teeth? Do you have dentures? And they kind of look at me like, why are you asking that? But it, it's important because that's where the eating begins, sure. that the physical eating begins. So are their dentures slipping? Did they lose a tooth? Did they not bring their bridge with them from the hospital? Is it home with the family? And that, you know, that can impede people from eating as well. So it's, it's important to know what's going on there. And then at the opposite end is, you know, are they getting enough food? Yeah, very interesting. You don't think mm -hmm. about all those things. Mm -hmm. Is bringing food in from home you know, when you're visiting, is that the answer or is that just a short-term fix? Or is that maybe even frowned upon because of all the different health regulations and having the food the right temperature and all the rest? Right. It's important to know where the food's coming from. But during this time of COVID, I think that it's kind of been put on hold because of, you know, we don't know where the food's coming in from. And if it came in, we have to somehow clean it and disinfect it and so forth. So that's been put on hold. But sometimes if there are residents outside of COVID that really have a favorite meal and they're not eating and family wants to do something, you know, we, we try to do whatever we can in a safe way to make sure that they get you know, food or nourishment. Mm -hmm. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you're listening to The Sandwich Generation, a production of Spoke Street Media. And with me are Bob and Pat Spear, professionals in the food service industry to hospitals and senior living centers. And we're discussing the discipline of eating right as a form of penance this Lent. And we've just heard how the professionals deal with the challenges of helping an entire institution eat right. So let's break down the elements of your game plan professionally so folks at home can come up with a game plan of their own. And it seems to me that all the elements are 
the same, but for the quantity. But that might be a problem, isn't it? You know, cooking for one just isn't motivating enough to get it done. Is that a fair thing to say? I mean, I find it's very difficult for cooking for two, you know. Mm -hmm. Over the weekend, I made this huge casserole. And I was like, boy, I'm glad we had company because I was going to make this for Bob and I, and it was way too much. But you can always make it and freeze it. You could make something at home and take something to your parents' house and Mm -hmm. let them put it in their freezer. It's challenging. When you go to the grocery store, it's all bulk now, you know? So, you know, just finding things that they like or what they used to cook and then maybe cooking with them. And I think just having the food in the house and making it accessible. That's probably where it begins is giving some assistance to getting out to the store, mm-hmm. doing some shopping. And, you know, I know that, you know, you, you, you sometimes you read how people will, oh, what's a good go-to thing to always have ready in case guests unexpectedly uh, show up, you know, sure. certain things, right? Uh-huh. And I was wondering, is there something like that? that you might recommend to some of our listeners who might be thinking, yeah, I'm going to help mom at least make sure she has some basic things that she likes that she can always go to, but, you know, serve the underlying goal of making sure that it's nutritious and maybe not too much salt, right? Those sorts of things. Are there a number of staple items like that in your quiver that you might want to pull out? I guess I'd have to, you know, really look or ask questions of what they used to eat. What do they like to eat? Uh, What, you know, are they ethnic? Do they like something in that regards? Do they like your basic peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Sometimes I know in in the nursing home, there's the last resort of, oh, they're not eating anything. Oh, what about a peanut butter and jelly? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) Haven't had it for a while. But I think items that are that you can open easily. Sometimes, you know, you'll find cans that don't have the the, the the flip top. Okay, do we can we get out the can opener and use it and make soup? Is there things that are accessible for them to do instead of having to manipulate everything and open all the packages and so forth? But I know peanut butter and jelly is good. Yogurts are good. Sometimes, you know, some of our residents don't know yogurt because that's kind of an age thing. It wasn't popular when they were younger, so yogurts are good. Yeah, with the shopping thing, you want to buy stuff that's not going to get bad real quick because Mm -hmm. I think you want to take a peek in your mom or dad's fridge or look at the expiration dates. And, And, you know, the worst that happens there is they might might get sick, you know, but that happens to Bob. He's going to get go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing you can do is, you know, the free, I forgot in your freezer, you could get meals that are already packaged. I know Swanson's and so forth. Uh Healthy Choice has Mm -hmm. some nice meals that you just put in your freezer and you can pop them in the microwave. Oh, there you go. So you can even keep those pans separate and then put your own food in there and freeze them. You know, it's an interesting thought just to to kind of recycle with maybe the food Mm -hmm. that they like. Mm Mm-hmm. Bob, any thoughts about good kinds of food that last longer in your in your house or your freezer? Well, what lasts in anyone's house or freezer depends on how how they take care of it. And that's mm. no difference in the, in our in our department too, with taking care of you know, hospital patients for food. I mean, if, if you know, you could have all the good intentions, but if you don't monitor what's in your fridge at home and you're shoving stuff in the back of the shelf number two or three, and it's down at the bottom, you know, it's easy to forget, especially when things get filled up. So, yeah. I guess my my advice to anyone would be just, you know, whatever you have, whether it be frozen or, or refrigerated or even dry goods, you know, you know, take a take a gander through every so often, at least once a week, just mm-hmm. to make sure. Even, even on the frozen things, because things can get freezer burn. Mm-hmm. So if a package breaks open by mistake in your freezer, then it gets exposed to the cold air and then, then you get freezer burn on food. But I, I think Pat touched on something really important to, to just to reemphasize briefly is, is getting people involved and, you know, 
you know, we could offer suggestions on specific things, but again, you know, the consumer, the, the, the person that's going to end up eating the food, you know, mm-hmm. and having the meal experience, ask them what they want or what they'd like to have. And then, then actually you get into, so that's their preference or their choice. And you get into, can they actually have it? Because someone may have a, a desire for, uh, you know, let's use the simple one that Pat mentioned, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But if they really should be controlling their fat content, then, okay, what kind of peanut butter are you going to buy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so that's one example just to expand on, yeah. you know, the difference between what you'd really like to have and what can you have. Mm. And, you know, that's in the hospital. It's the same thing at home, too. So you just have to be cautious on things. Mm-hmm. And and then the, the ability to prepare, again, in the home environment, you know, if someone still has the ability to cook and, and prepare, have at it. But, you know, those that think that they might and they want to participate, but maybe they're just not as agile as they used to be or, or, or uh, other, other kind of safety precautions, whether it be using knives or even the stove or the oven or whatever, then you know, every, if someone's a caregiver along with that person or a relative, they have to be careful and, and guide them. Mm-hmm. But with that said, too, I mean, so that's the caution. But again, back to the beginning per, part is, you know, ask the person what they'd like to have. And then if, if it can happen, that's far better than saying, well, you know, you can only have so much sodium, you can only have so much fat. And, you know, so this is what you're going to get. Well, that's fine and dandy, and that's true clinically. But if the person's not going to eat their food because it doesn't right. taste well, because of the, you know, it doesn't have any salt, or it doesn't. And again, I'm not proposing to to stray away from low sodium diets, low cholesterol diets. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's there's a give or take. You know, there's the side of the coin where you do have to have the the, the restrictions, and the other side of the coin, if they're not eating, that's that leads to a way worse problem. Yeah, yeah. So. I would think also that you'd want to make sure that they're eating at the right time of day, space their meals out a little bit, kind of make it a habit. And most people have those habits, but I would think that if you're living alone or not with a lot of people, your timing can get off. And it's probably true to say that you want to be eating regularly too. Is there anything else that you can think of that our folks at home uh, should know as far as helping their loved ones eat better this Lent? I think it's just being in tune to the loved one that needs the assistance. Are they getting up to eat or are they sleeping, you know, mainly through breakfast and getting up at 11 and then having a little bit of lunch and what are they having at lunch? You know, like looking at their day, trying to be in tuned with what's going on mm-hmm. and what you can provide. If you see that they're sleeping later, do we give them a little bit more at lunch, you know, and maybe take one of those supplements, give them a glass of milk with their meal or, you know, you just have to be in tuned with what's going on. I don't know that it's uh, what we can eat, but it's being in tuned of their day, their routine and their day, and then trying to slip in the food along the way. Oh, I see. So not necessarily waking them up earlier for breakfast. It's better just to serve them a bigger lunch. Well, if you're in the house with them and you're up for breakfast, sure, they could be up for breakfast. If they're alone in the house and you're not there monitoring, you know, trying to look at their routine of what are they doing. I know there's a lot of elderly people that are out there on their own Mm -hmm. and, and making sure that we're aware of their routine, you know, putting out breakfast. Maybe you stayed late one night putting out breakfast. And when then when you go back over the next day. Did they eat breakfast or was it still sitting there? And that can give you a clue as to what what is going on, too. And those automatic coffee makers are kind of neat, too. So they smell the coffee. I mean, that (laughs) always helps get me out. (laughs) Yeah, right. The aroma. That's why in a lot of nursing homes now they have pods where they're cooking right at the the unit where the resident is. Uh That aroma of food really 
oh. can capture them and then they'll, you know, follow the aroma to the dining room. Oh, very smart. Yeah. 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 So it's just being in tune with, with what's going on mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Sure. And certainly, you know, getting, trying to get them to eat whatever they can. Do you have a, a favorite pep talk that you like to give uneager eaters? I think my favorite, it's not a pep talk, but my favorite program is our milk martinis. Oh. In the afternoon. In the afternoon. Is that idea? No. Oh, no. <laughs> All me. No. In the afternoon, I'll have on the uh, life enrichment program that we're going to have milk martinis. So what we do is we all have different glassware in our pantries. So I get the martini glasses and we throw, we put some chocolate syrup in it and you decorate the glass with it and then pour the milk on, put a little strawberry on there, a little whipped cream in the glass and you give it to the resident with, you know, some uh, cookies. So we're having milk martinis and cookies and you would be surprised what kind of response you get. Some people think they're actually drinking martinis and they're so happy, but you're also getting in the protein and the calcium and the vitamins from the milk. It's just milk. Yeah. You know, so it's it's finding those little things, too, that, you know. Yeah, it's fun. It is. And it's fun. Yeah. 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 So that that's probably one of my favorite things to do. But really just connecting with the residents to kind of let them know, hey, I'm here for you. I want you to eat. This is why you have to eat. And Sounds like you wear a lot of different hats. Sounds like oh, you're yeah. an activities director. And- yeah. Oh, no, I would <laughs> never take that job. <laughs> Another takeaway from that movie, Babette's Feast, is that the Eucharist is a transformative meal, too, because at its heart is the sacrifice of love. Just as Babette put everything she had into that special feast that changed her friends' lives, our Lord gives himself to us totally so that we may have life eternally. And as St. Paul reminds us, an athlete buffets and disciplines his body so as to gain that prize. And any good coach will tell you that eating right is a big part of any winning regimen. So Bob and Pat, thank you for sharing your coaching expertise with us today. Our hope is that many of our listeners and their families will renew their Lenten commitments, even if it means having to eat more. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Happy Easter. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation, where we are better because of each other. And I look forward to being with you the next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And... For a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to RedeemerRadio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.